Will you pray with me? Father, we rejoice in you. We stand in awe of you. God, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. So you are feared, and you are loved, and you are celebrated. And God, we come today because of you, because every moment of every day of our lives, you have been with us. Sometimes we were aware and sometimes we weren't, but you were always with us. And this morning, Lord, we are consciously with you. Let us attend to your presence, Lord. Let us give thanks to you. And Lord, like the psalmist, we wait for you. More than watchmen wait for the morning, we wait for you. You are our only hope. And so we place all of our trust in you. We hope in you. And in you we find our strength. <clears throat> and for those who are soaring like eagles today, God, we give thanks and rejoice. And for those who are running and not growing weary, we thank you. And for those who walk and do not faint, we give you thanks, Lord, that you have grace for all the different moments of our lives. And we thank you for this chance to love you publicly as we've been loving you privately all week long. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How did you find your friends? Or did they find you? In his book, Four Loves, um, C.S. Lewis writes, friendship is born in that moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. I was walking out of a political science class um, in my undergraduate work and another gentleman walked up to me and said, hi, Dan, how are you? And I looked at him and said, fine, but I'm not Dan. He said, of course you're Dan. I worked for you all summer at uh, Memorial Cafeteria. I said, you would be confusing me with my older brother. And I'm complimented, but he might be offended by that. <laughs> it wasn't a great beginning to a friendship. But this, um, this young man was a pastor just four miles down the road from where I was a pastor. And we didn't know each other. Before uh, the end of the story, he became my best man and I his. We preached in each other's churches and this week he stopped through town and I thought about what an unlikely friendship is ours. I grew up traveling the world. He grew up in Bernice, Louisiana and we uh, shared life and ministry together all of these years. What? You too? A teenage pastor? I thought I was the only one. That's the way friendship begins. And Wayne Gray found me. I didn't find him. Once he knew what my name was, we got along a lot better. <laughs> According to a 2006 study, our circle of close friends is getting smaller. In fact, 25% of the people in our country say they have no one with whom they can talk about important matters. 2012 New York Times article added that this scarcity of friends gets worse in midlife because when you're in your 30s and 40s, you have play dates with kids and 
you have uh, connections through life and through work and, um, of course, Facebook. But as we grow older, proximity to other people, repeated connections and settings where we can share our souls diminish over time. And we find ourselves with fewer and fewer, as my 12-year-old daughter says, BFFs, best friends forever. And we find ourselves with more and more situational friends or what the article called KOFs, kind of friends. We need uh, best friends forever. And in this month of focus on friendship, I want to share with you my heart and the things that God is teaching me about how we can make friends for Christ. So would you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4, verses 25 to 30, 39 to 42. You know this story. I found a friend. It's the story of a woman who went to the well in a small town in Samaria looking for water and found so much more than she bargained for that day. She found a friend. Let's stand together as we read God's word. John chapter four. Today we'll think about identifying and interceding for our friends. Next week, investing in our friends. The following week, inviting our friends. And then mark this on your calendar. The last Sunday in October, we want you to bring a friend with you to worship. And particularly a friend perhaps who has no connection with Christ. And we'll share good news with your friend. So John chapter 4, verse 25, after Jesus encounters this woman at the well and asks her for a drink and, and has a lengthy conversation with her about life and marriage and worship. And then finally, he tells her who he is. Listen to this in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39, after an interlude with the disciples and Jesus calling them to participate in a harvest that they did not plant. Verse 39 tells the story of these Samaritans. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Thank you, you may be seated. As I read the New Testament carefully, it occurs to me that Jesus saw people that other people did not see. Some who were invisible to others, Jesus saw. Likely, 
Jesus' disciples encountered this very woman. As she was leaving town to go to the well, they were entering town to find food, but there was no connection between them at all. But when she comes to the well and Jesus sees her, he sees a common connection. What, you too? I thought I was the only one who was thirsty today, sitting alone by the well, but you also need water. And so he asks her for water and she takes exception with the thought that he, uh, a Jew and a man, would speak to her, a Samaritan and a woman. She is surprised by that. Later, the disciples are surprised as well that there would be any connection because they are unlikely subjects for friendship. This um, Jewish rabbi who really was the son of God and this Samaritan woman who had been looking for love for her whole life. But in this moment, there is connection. She doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds her. And when he identifies himself as the Messiah, then she runs back into town and she finds all the people there and tells the story. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Notice how she makes room for them to come to their own conclusion because friendship is not forced. And as they come to see what she has encountered, they come to believe for themselves and come to understand that Jesus is not just a Jewish rabbi, but he's the savior of the whole world. And they are part of that world. Even though they are Samaritans, they are part of that world. And everybody you and I know are part of that world and everybody that you and I know, each one of them needs a savior. I read this this week and I wondered, just thinking from our cultural perspective, what right did she have to proselytize? What right did she have to go and say to them? I mean, she had experienced Jesus, but why did she have to make it such a public event? Why does she interfere in their lives? And the answer is, as Mercedes said in one of their... Um, one of their commercials years ago, some news is too important not to share. And we might say, what right did she have not to tell what she had encountered? Because if we are ever taken with Christ, we will want to take other people with us to Christ. So just to put all of our cards on the table this morning, we evangelize. We tell good news because we think that to be friends with Jesus Christ places upon us the opportunity, indeed, the requirement to share this good news with others as well. We believe that once you find a friend in Jesus, you will want to find friends for Jesus. But be clear about this. Before we can ever make friends for Jesus, we will have to be friends with Jesus. And this is the story. Her story is our story. We are unlikely friends of Jesus. But notice that Jesus came a long way to find her. I love chapter 4, verse 4, that says Jesus and his disciples had to go through Samaria. They didn't really have to go through Samaria, but they chose to go through Samaria. And in fact, he had to go because he had an appointment to keep. She didn't know that he would keep an appointment with her, but he 
knew. And there at that place, he encounters her and he engages her in conversation. And I love what Eric said as he shared that same testimony with our deacons one night. He said, I told my family, God bent over backwards to reach our family. God comes a long way to reach this woman. And if you believe the story of the incarnation, which we will celebrate at Advent, God came a very, very long way to find you and me. God stops at nothing. He's the hound of heaven. We can can flee him down the nights and the days, down the labyrinthine ways of our minds and through the mist of tears. We can hide from him, as the poet says, but he will find us. He found this woman and he invites her to relationship and they have a a lengthy conversation. She can't believe that he would speak with her and he says, I have water that is greater than the water that you can draw And, and she says, well, Um, That's amazing because our father Jacob drew from this well. Are you telling us you're greater than Jacob? And Jesus um, is not afraid to admit, to begin to show her, to reveal this self-revelation and friendship who he is. And then he asks her, where's your husband? Go find your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, that's right. You've had five. And the man you live with now is not your husband. And finally, finally, she encounters the seventh man, the perfect man, the one she's been waiting for all of her life. She changes the subject. She wants to discuss worship with him, but Jesus will not allow her opinions about worship and aren't our opinions many. She, she, he won't allow her opinions about worship to distract from their newfound friendship. And he invites her to realize that the Father seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the more she comes to know, she begins to wonder perhaps, could this be the Messiah? I know she says there is one. The Samaritans had their own idea of Messiah, sort of prophet like Moses who would teach all things. And so she says, I know when he comes, he will teach all things. And Jesus just says, I I love I love the Greek at this point where he just says, ego I me, I am. And that is filled with all the meaning that we who know the story of Moses at the bush, that we who understand the very meaning of Yahweh, I am that I am. Jesus is making an audacious claim. I am. No wonder she goes back. I read again C.S. Lewis's um, little excerpt from The Silver Chair this week, a story that reminds us of this story, a little girl named Jill who's thirsting for water. It's in that Narnia series. She's in Narnia. She sees this magnificent stream. The only, um, only problem with the stream is it is guarded by an enormous lion, Aslan, who represents Christ in that story. If you know the Narnia stories and She wants a drink, but she doesn't want to be eaten by a lion. So she finds herself in a bit of a quandary and she stands there for a while and finally the lion says, come and get a drink. And she says, would you mind leaving while I do? And he just growls. And she says, "Um, do you, um, do you, um, will you promise me that you won't hurt me? He said, I will make no such promise. Do you eat little girls? She says, He says, I have devoured girls and boys, men and women, 
kings and emperors, cities and realms. I have devoured all of these. He didn't say it in an angry way or in a proud way. He just said it. She's still in this quandary. And finally, she says, I think I'll have to find another stream. And he says, there is no other stream. And she bends down in trepidation and reaches and tastes the best water she's ever had in her life. She had thought she would drink and run for her life. But now she realizes, Lewis says, to run from him would be the most dangerous thing of all. This is the story of the woman. This is our story. That God knows us and he loves us. And we find a friend who has found us, who knows everything about us and loves us. That's her testimony, isn't it? That's the word that is used, her witness, her testimony in verse 39, Marturuses. Her story is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the astonishing thing for her is he knows everything about her and he still loves her. I was taken this week by that song by Sidewalk Prophets, you loved me anyway. It's like nothing in life that I've ever known. Oh Lord, how you love me, how you love me. I was the thorn in your crown and you love me anyway. I was the sweat on your brow. You loved me anyway. I was the nail in your wrist. I was Judas's kiss and you loved me anyway. Oh, love that will not let us go. Love that knows us better than we know ourselves and still loves us. What kind of love is this that traverses all of eternity, that traverses all of creation to come to this earth, to know us and to love us? This is the friendship that we've been waiting for, whether or not we knew it, the friendship we have needed all of our lives, and it's available to us and I read this week Elton Trueblood's um, analysis that two-thirds of nearly every congregation doesn't really know God. And I spent some time thinking about that this week. And in prayer, I finally had to ask God, do I really know you? You who know me better than I know myself, do I really know you? Maybe this is what Paul was thinking about when he wrote to the Philippians and said, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And when this woman comes to know Jesus as the Messiah, then she goes, of course she goes and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Because once you find a friend in Jesus, you will surely begin to think about others who might be his friends as well. And so she goes and she tells them, come and see. She invites them, she thinks of them and she tells them about him and then she takes them to him. And I wondered how we could do that, how we could tell the story. I remember Dwight McKissick in a, an evangelism conference years ago exclaiming at the top of his great voice. 
if the Lord has blessed your soul, you ought to tell it. If the Lord has made you whole, you ought to yell it, he said. I think with loud exclamation, she says, come and see a man. And she wants them to know him. And how will we take our friends to Jesus? It occurs to me that before we talk to our friends about God, we ought to talk to God about our friends. Once we've identified them, we ought to intercede for them that prayer plays an important role in evangelism, that if we could pray for people, if we could just, we're asking you this morning just to identify the names of three friends and begin to pray for them, that God will draw them to himself, that they will find relationship with him. This could be the beginning of you sharing your relationship with God. Just, just start by talking to the God who, who cares so much about them, who knows them better than you know them. And, and I thought about how hard that is for us sometimes just, just to do that. There was a young man in the first community that we served in out in Pleasant Grove community. He was, oh, probably six or eight years older than I, but our lives could not have been more different. He had grown up there in the outskirts of Rosebud, Texas, and I had grown up wherever I had grown up. And, and, and he was a very large man. He, he might have played defensive tackle for your favorite team. He worked in the um, ring in the auction barn in several cattle auctions. I, on the other hand, had only this connection with cattle. I loved, it turned out, to eat them. And here was this great man who had no interest in Christ at all. He, like I, had a godly mother. He also had a father named Gervis who was well known in the community as the, as the worst of the worst of the sinners and his son had followed in his footsteps. And Melanie and I put his name, we put his name up on the bulletin board in our tiny apartment there in Waco and every time we saw his name, we prayed for him. A revival came, a friend of mine, Mike Mowry, came down. We were going to preach a revival. We stopped at his mother's house. She provided lunch for us. Her son ran out the back door as we came in the front door and sped off in his pickup truck. But one night that week, he came to the service. And I will never forget him stepping into the aisle and walking down and receiving Christ. And the community was shaken by the idea that Dwight Kelly could become a Christian. And to this day, I remember his name scrawled in my uneven handwriting there on the wall so that we would not forget to pray for him. And I can't say it better than Eric did. God is already working to answer your prayers on behalf of your friends. And so these, um, these people who came based on her testimony come in the end to say to her, we used to believe because of your experience, but now we believe because of ours. Only pray for people who are part of the world because the Jesus we know is the savior of the whole world. Only pray for people who need a savior. And by the way, everybody we know is part of the world and needs 
a Savior. And Lauren Sanny tells an amazing story of a Billy Graham crusade where where a, a man came to Christ and then went back to the church that he had visited on Easter and Christmas and encountered an elder of that church, a leader in that church who was a a fellow businessman of his. And he said, did you know that I accepted Christ at the Billy Graham crusade? And the elder said, I heard that and I was so happy to hear that. And he said, how long have we been in business together? The elder said, I don't know, for 20 something years. He said, have you been a Christian all of that time? And he said, well, yes I have. I've been a, a Christian all of that time. And he said, why in 20-something years did you never tell me that you were a Christian and that I could become a Christian? All these years, I thought you were such a fine man. And if you didn't need to be a Christian, then why would I need to be? Would you identify your friends? Would you talk to God about them? Would you talk to them about God? Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you that we are immersed, immersed in your goodness today. Like Tina and Angel, we could not be more immersed in your love than we are. And God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you that we have found a friend in Jesus who is all the world to us. And I pray, Father, that you would help us today to be friends with you so that we can make friends for you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.